The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Friday edition of PFTPM. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio here with you. Week 7 is upon us. It officially got started on Thursday night with the Eagles barely beating the Giants, and it continues into Sunday and beyond. Who knows? Maybe two games Monday, maybe a game Tuesday, depending upon what happens with Buccaneers Raiders. Good afternoon, Shereen. How are you? I'm fantastic, Mike. I do feel like this week that it's flying along. Hard to believe we're this far into the season. We're getting close to halfway. Unbelievable. Now, last week you said, but it feels like we've been doing this 12 weeks. What happened in a week? I think it's just having all the all the extra games. You know, we didn't have the Tuesday game this week. It was sort of back on track with the Thursday game. I mean, these things are just throwing us loops left and right. I mean, you just you don't know what's going to happen week to week. I'm telling you, this Monday night doubleheader that we've seen several times and the Tuesday night game that we saw once, just more ways to cram cheese into and around a pizza. And I think the NFL will realize that there are Plenty of other spots between Sunday morning, Sunday late evening, two games Monday, maybe two games Thursday, staggered start, maybe a game every Tuesday. But the NFL realizing there are other ways to allow us to focus on one game at a time. And as legalized wagering spreads throughout the country, it becomes more important to break games out of that cluster at one o'clock Eastern on a Sunday and find other spots where we can watch them all at once. Just saw a text from Josh Alper, he is posting a story that Marcus Golden has been traded to the Cardinals. That's a Giants player who got his start with the Cardinals. So it's back to the Cardinals for Marcus Golden, helping replace Chandler Jones, who's out for the year. We're going off script, but hey, we got to react to the news as it comes in. A a mini fire sale by a Giants team that knows, well, they're not, I mean, they're still alive. Maybe they just accept the fact that no matter how the dominoes fall, they're not winning that division. They may as well sell off some assets. Well, and they had not used Marcus Golden like they did last year. This coaching staff just hadn't used him. He had his first full sack last night. He had a half a sack earlier, but he had 10 sacks last season. He can play, and he could still play, and I think he'll be very good for the Cardinals in helping replace Chandler Jones. They need pass rushing help, and and he's the guy to do it. So I, I think it's a great trade for the Cardinals, probably a good trade for the Giants just because they are in the rebuild mold despite being in the fact that they're still in the NFC East race. Second round pick of the Cardinals out of Missouri in 2015. He was there for four seasons and then a season and a half with the New York Giants. So it's back to the desert. Now he won't play Sunday night. That came up at one point, I think last year or the year before. You can't play twice in one week. So it's not like he can instantly and 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 he's got to go in COVID quarantine for five days anyway. So that won't be an issue. But smart for the Giants to make the move now. Smart for the Cardinals to get him now to get the five days running. That's another thing Peter King and I were talking about earlier today, Shereen. The idea that that COVID landing strip that you now have, that five days where you have to ease your way into a roster before you can actually join a team, as a practical matter, that makes the trade deadline earlier 
than Tuesday, November 3rd. These deals are going to get done by the middle of next week, most likely, if they're going to get done by November 3rd. Yeah, we, we wondered why the trade for McLendon on Sunday was announced after the game. Well, the reason was so they can get him in and he could play this week. So I think everything's just sped up to try to get players on the field. And if you wait till the normal trade deadline or trade at the end of the week or whatever, you're not going to get them to play uh, that week. And I do wonder, Mike, if the Giants didn't play Marcus Golden more yesterday because he did play more than he has just to kind of feature him in a national game saying he's out there, he's on the trade block, we'll show you what he can do. And then he had the sack and actually played pretty well last night. Showcase time and you find a suitor for Marcus Golden and he gets out of a bad situation and onto a team that is four and two and hoping to move to five and two won't be easy on Sunday night when the Seattle Seahawks come to town. Many would say that Dallas Cowboys should be active in the trade market either to sell off or to try to buy some players that can help them win the division and get better on the fly. How about Jerry Jones earlier today's first appearance on 105.3 The Fan since the report emerged of some anonymous players unhappy with coaching. Here is Jerry reacting to that news. It doesn't add to anything. It doesn't make me do anything other than almost uh, smirk. Did you think it has any credibility? Think about it. Do you really think it has any credibility? I can see how, how Jerry, how you're right. It's right for the picking, right? I really think that those words that come out your mouth and you can't say who gave you the information has any credibility. Hmm. Think about it. It has none. That's a little harsh because, again, the report came from Jane Slater of NFL Media, company owned 132nd by Dallas Cowboys, embedded by the NFL with the Cowboys. And Jerry sounds irritated. And I'm going to spin the clock back to 2014 when Albert Breer was working for NFL Network covering the New England Patriots who were right down the road from where he lived. Breer is the one that started needling Bill Belichick with questions about Tom Brady's job security, sparking the on to Cincinnati, on to Cincinnati. Of course, I'm saying it with far more gusto then on to, on, to, on to Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati. And you know what happened to Albert Breer after that? You know what happened to Albert Breer after that? He wasn't covering the Patriots anymore. He was having to fly all over the place covering other teams because he was persona non grata with the Patriots. So, you know, I initially thought that this is something that was done. Unless Jerry is, is, is doing some Hollywood-level acting, I acting. thought this is something that the Cowboys gave the nod to. Cherie, do you think there's a chance that Jerry is, is feigning disapproval and criticism of one of his indirect employees? I think there's zero chance of that, Mike. And there were seven questions <laughs> by 105.3, the fan, that he answered. And I'm glad we didn't use the one that had the expletive in it uh, because he, he – I wish we had. We're on Peacock. We can use it. <laughs> it's bull manure is basically what he said. But he went on and on and even questioned the credibility of Jane Slater, who, just like you said, is 132nd owned by Jerry Jones, uh, the network she works for. So – yeah, I think there's zero chance that this was planted to make him look better as the general manager. I think he's mad about where the Cowboys are right now. He's mad because they've lost Dak Prescott. And now he's mad about this report of a coach he hired in the offseason and touted as the second coming 
and he hasn't lived up to expectations. This team hasn't lived up to expectations. And, and I think Jerry is, is very perturbed by all of that. But I, I would not be surprised if Jane Slater is covering a different team. If that happens, I, I won't be surprised based on what Jerry said today in the seven questions. And, and he was irritated. And I would go so far as to say he was angry. And, and, and let me say this. There's two different ways that you can react to the report from Jane Slater. We reacted to it when it first came out by saying, unless you know who's saying it, you don't know how seriously to take it. Is it Ezekiel Elliott or is it backup defensive lineman that no one has heard of, right? But we never took that position of she's got no credibility. I've always believed that someone said that to her. I just don't know who it is. And until I know who it is, it's impossible to assess the impact of that belief. Jerry went the other way. He's basically saying, if you're not attaching someone's name to it, you're making it up. And that happens a lot when the subjects of negative reports that come from anonymous sources don't like the content. They just attack the reporter and suggest it was made up. But that's where he went. And that's the kind of thing that would make me very nervous if I was Jane Slater. Yeah, no question about it. And and uh, it, it was curious that it was her who reported this. And I would be curious, a reporter that he has a longstanding relationship with, and there are a bunch of them, and, and I think I'm one of those who has covered this team long enough since 1999 that has this long-term relationship with him. So if it was me or somebody else that that's had this report, would he have reacted differently? I don't know the answer to that. But uh, it is curious to me that he came out and really attacked Jane's credibility as opposed to, as you said, Mike, questioning who these players were and we don't know or just, I don't know. It, but he, he, he was obviously very angry with the report. Well, we look forward to your reporting over the weekend, Shireen, citing anonymous <laughs> Cowboys players yeah, who are go. unhappy with the quality of coaching and unhappy with Jerry Jones calling out the report that – Unnamed players are unhappy with the quality of the coaching. I was on 106.7 The Fan in D.C. earlier today, and Chad Dukes, the host of the program there, asked me, is there any way Mike McCarthy's out after only one year? My reaction is Jerry is too prideful to ever admit that he made a mistake, so he won't give Mike McCarthy only one year, and also he won't want to go back to square one with some new coach as Jerry's on this never-ending quest to try to get a Super Bowl with a team that he built. Your thoughts on whether or not McCarthy would be gone after one year? I'll use a different word than prideful. Jerry is cheap in some areas. People think he likes to spend money. <laughs> he, he likes to spend money on certain things. He doesn't like to spend money to buy out coaches. He doesn't like to spend money to go get the best field turf that you can possibly get in a stadium. All those things he doesn't like spending money on, many things. And so I don't think he would want to pay off Mike McCarthy and go and hire another head coach, even if it was an Eric Bieniemy type, an assistant coach he wouldn't have to give huge money to. I just don't think he would want to do that. You look at Jason Garrett's situation, right? It took him forever to get rid of Jason Garrett. And technically, I guess he didn't fire him. He didn't renew the contract. He waited till it ran out so he didn't have to pay Jason Garrett. But that's typically the way Jerry works. I mean, we always talk about the Bengals doing things like this. Jerry Jones does too. Now, he has fired some coaches that he's had to pay off, but generally he likes to move on after that contract is near the end or at the end. So I don't think he'll want to pay off Mike McCarthy.
That may be the only thing he has in common with Mike Brown, the owner of the Bengals, because Brown does the same thing. He won't fire a coach until the contract expires or he's at a point where he doesn't owe him anything. And as you're explaining all that, I'm thinking about the stories I've heard about Jerry's yacht, the the obscenity of the opulence of the yacht. So so there are things he definitely will spend the money on Dwayne Haskins is going to be spending some money. According to Adam Schefter of ESPN, he's been fined $4,833. The, the max could have been 10000 more than that for violating the team's COVID-19 protocols during last week's game against the Giants. Haskins made a reservation for a family friend at the team hotel, which is strictly prohibited. Look, I, I don't get it. And, and it th- this tells me that for some of these teams that are having issues with COVID-19 protocols, it doesn't matter what you say to the players. It's either going in one ear and out the other, or it's not even going in the ear. They just they just don't hear it. They just don't listen. They just aren't even going to begin to heed what they're told to do because it's like explaining it to a chair. They're, they, they're just, they just either don't care or they're not going to take the, the time to figure out all the different things that's expected of them, and there are going to be some things they don't do. But, uh, you know, for a guy who basically is checked out and who's been dropped to number three and there's chatter as to whether or not he may even be traded before the deadline. It doesn't surprise me. He would get a little lax with his dotting every I and crossing every T of the COVID-19 protocols. Yeah. I find it hard to believe Mike that he would have gone out and done this if he'd been the starting quarterback of the team, but he wasn't even going to dress for the game. So yeah, I, I don't think guys care if they're not, if they don't think they're going to play, they don't think they're going to dress for games. I, don't, I truly don't think they care. And certainly we talk a lot about guys reporting symptoms. I don't think guys are going to report symptoms for the most part. Unless they test positive, they're not going to admit that they have symptoms. And that's part of the problem with this whole thing, with, with, not, with getting through this season without adding another week to the season, is guys have to do the right thing. And they have to report when they have symptoms. And they have to not go out and, and break all the rules that the NFL has established that are protocol for this season only. And, and they're doing that. A lot of them are doing it. We're seeing it over and over and over again. And they're not wearing the tracking devices and all the things that they need to be doing. If we're going to get through this season – everyone's going to have to comply. And as you've pointed out many times, the NFL does worry about late in the season when teams are out of it, that their players are just going to ignore everything and say, hey, we're not going to the playoffs anyway. We're going to go out and party this weekend. And with now nine teams having one win or fewer, that is a real concern. And there are teams that are folding the tents, starting fire sales, the Vikings, for example, accepting that it's over for them and good luck convincing the locker room that you're still trying to win when you trade off one of your best defensive players to try to get back some of the trade value you gave up to get him. You have to be even more concerned about those teams and the NFL has to be even more vigilant because even if they think they've made it, they could end up just like Daniel Jones and fall flat on their faces as they approach the goal line, which leads us into our next topic. Daniel Jones falling fat, flat on his face as he was approaching the goal line last night. Let's hear directly from the man of the moment who had his moment that he'll never forget, and neither will we. Try to run faster than I was running and, and uh, got caught up. So uh, We finished the drive, scored a touchdown, so that was a relief uh, to me for sure. He tried to run faster than he was running, and that was that. He lost control. He fell down like Kramer. And, you know, Shereen, one thing that dawned on me, 
How many times have we seen players who are heading for the end zone and they look up at the Jumbotron and they see that they have a lead? There isn't anyone on top of them. They're not being lunged at. They've got that buffer. They'll get to the end zone. He just didn't do it, probably because he never expected that he'd ever be in a position to have to utilize that extra little technological edge where you can gauge whether or not someone is chasing you. So, uh, look, it happened. I don't know where it fits. I was on with Dan Patrick earlier today. He said between that, Dan Orlovsky running out of the back of the end zone, and the Mark Sanchez butt fumble, which one is the best or the worst? I, I, I don't know how this compares because we're too close to it just happening. What kind of staying power will it have? Will it become a meme? Will it become something that people post, that gif, anytime somebody does something stupid? I don't know. I don't know. But – it's definitely something I wouldn't want my name attached to. And Daniel Jones is never going to get his name unattached to that one. No, he's not. And it reminds me so much of Sanchez, both playing in New York, both with both former first round draft picks, both doing something stupid. And when you think of Mark Sanchez, that's what I think of. And he was in the Cowboys locker room for many, one of the nicest guys you ever want to know. Spent a year in Dallas. Love the guy. But when I think of Mark Sanchez, I think of the butt fumble. And unless Daniel Jones goes on to have a great career, which is very much in doubt right now, I think we're always going to think about this moment. And we're going to forget that it was an 80-yard run, which is longer than Saquon Barkley's ever had in his career. But we're just going to remember that he didn't make it all the way to the goal line. And that's unfortunate for (laughs) Daniel Jones. It was a great play, but he didn't finish it. And there is the all-timer tracking the win (laughs) probability for the Giants and falling off the cliff. And you mentioned Mark Sanchez. And look, I've never watched the show The Masked Singer. I, I have a general understanding of what it's about. There's a singer in some sort of a costume, and they try to guess who it is. And Mark Sanchez was one of the singers. And I'm thinking... How in the hell would anyone think of Mark Sanchez? It's not 2010. (laughs) It's 2020. Talk about some obscure celebrity to put into that costume. I don't know who said no that week. But anyway, nothing against Mark Sanchez. But the, the, the sun set a long time ago on Mark Sanchez to the point where we only talk about him in moments like this when somebody does something that evokes memories of his greatest or as the case may be, worst moment. It was a pretty good moment for Carson Wentz. How about the touchdown pass he threw that gave the Philadelphia Eagles the late league? And here is Carson Wentz talking about the great throw and great catch by running back Boston Scott. I mean, he wasn't the primary read on that play. Um, and the way it happened, I stepped up in the pocket. And um, the guy had pretty good coverage. But, you know, giving Boston a chance there to make a play, and, and he did. I mean, he plays bigger than, you know, whatever he is, 5'7". Um, he plays bigger than that. And, and he made a great play. And I was pretty surprised we pulled it off. When I threw it, I thought it was a little high. But, but he, like I said, he plays bigger than, than he is. And um, obviously, there was a lot of emotions there. It was kind of a big... Uh, exciting moment, but a big kind of sigh of relief because we know we, we left a lot of plays out there, but um, the way we battled and, and found a way at the end of the game was huge for us. And then they clinched that game with Brandon Graham forcing a quarterback fumble, which reminds everyone of how Super Bowl 52 ended when Brandon Graham caused Tam, Tom Brady to fumble the ball. Uh, Brandon Graham said after the game, he thinks that play, that moment turns around the Eagles season. We'll see. We'll see. They get the little mini buy and they have to keep rolling and uh, they have to keep winning. 
And if they do, they don't need to win many to win the NFC East. Now at 2-4-1, and one, they are in first place all by themselves pending the outcome of Sunday's games. Shireen, uh, how about this? Michael Thomas, ankle is healed. Somehow he got a hamstring injury, and I guess you could injure your hamstring during rehab. I mean, he hasn't practiced. He hasn't played. He hasn't done much. I don't know how he got a hamstring injury during the bye week. There's still a weird cloud involving the Saints and Michael Thomas dating back to Thomas being suspended but not suspended, disciplined for the fight that he had with a teammate two Saturdays ago. I think the Saints knew exactly what they were doing. I think Sean Payton has a strategic objective here to get Michael Thomas on board with what they're doing, or we could hear that he gets traded between now and November 3rd. I just look at this lineup and I say, no, Michael Thomas again, Emmanuel Sanders on the COVID-19 list and won't be playing on Sunday against the Panthers. The Saints offense is going to be hard pressed against a very good or better than expected Panthers team that has Teddy Bridgewater, who was 5-0 and last year playing quarterback for the Saints. So is this the week they take the bubble wrap off Taysom Hill? I mean, who else do you have? You got to use Taysom Hill, right? They got no other weapons. They're they're going to be in trouble this week. But I, I would love to see Taysom Hill uh, get some chances, get get even get a chance to throw the ball down the field, maybe on some of those plays he lines up in the Wildcat. They used him more in week five. Week week five. I, get, I always get when teams start taking buys, I get screwed yeah. up. It was the Monday night game of week five against the Chargers. He scored a touchdown right through the ball down the field. He did more in that game than he had in other games. So, you know, maybe this is it. Yeah, he's your backup quarterback. You need to keep him healthy. But at the same time, you need weapons. You need offensive players. You need guys who can come out and get it done. They'd better use Taysom Hill while they can, or they're going to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers potentially pull away from them in the NFC South. All right, plenty more to get to on this Friday edition of PFTPM. When we return, we're going to talk more about this Buccaneers-Raiders game. Flexed out of prime time. Will it stay on Sunday? Will it move to Monday or Tuesday? What's going to happen with that? And what's up with the Buccaneers? We'll talk to Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times when PFTPM continues right after this. Just concentrating on this game, honestly. It's a, a great opportunity for both teams to... Uh, Try to get another win, but I try not to get too deep, too philosophical. I had a great time in Tampa. A lot of my best friends are still there and live there, so I'm looking forward to competing. John Gruden, Raiders coach again, reflecting on the reality that he coached the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to a Super Bowl win and then through 2008. Faces them for the first time during his second stint with the Raiders. Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times joins us to talk a little bit about that game and about the Buccaneers generally. Rick, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Good. Doing good. Doing good. And, and and let's just start with the fact that the Buccaneers are the latest team minding their own business, getting ready to play a game, and they're getting jerked around by the fact that their opponent has a COVID-19 issue. What's the level of frustration within the organization right now? Well, I think it's pretty high. I mean, they were looking forward to playing on Sunday night. I think the bigger thing would be if they had to move this game, that would be very frustrating for them. As of uh, this afternoon, anyway, when we talked to Bruce Arians, he said that was not the case yet, uh, and they're certainly hoping that uh, they can play on Sunday. They did make make certain that um, you know they're going to talk about, um, and this is kind of funny, right? You play football for three hours, but they're not going to shake hands. They're not going to embrace each other before or after the game with coaches, and 
and that sort of thing. So there is a concern, you know, that, uh, you know, could, could their team, which has done a great job with their protocols, end up unwittingly uh, getting a guy infected. So I think that's always a concern. Rick, is there anybody left in the organization that even remembers John Gruden in, the, in his days there? Because I know the fans are excited about this, but I don't know how much it really influences either team. I mean, Gruden's obviously going to be excited by it, but are there people within the organization who are excited about seeing this game? Well, there's not many people, as you know, Shereen, uh, from that time, uh, but you can't walk into that building without walking past the statue of John Gruden. I mean, that entire you know football team, all those stars are there in the lobby and then and really when you think about it i mean you know this is jacob marling bringing uh you know the ghosts of football past to john gruden two things that that really are, are nightmares for him tom brady and the tuck rule right and the buccaneers firing him um after a a nine and seven season and so you know i i think both those things have have really shaped his coaching career and been probably the lowest moments of it. And um, and now he gets to see them all in one spot. So it's, it's either a revenge game of sorts or it's, it's going to be kind of a nightmare for him. You mentioned Bruce Arians not wanting his players to mingle with Raiders after the game. Let's hear from Arians himself on this, and then I'll have a question for you about it on the other side. I'm as confident as we can be. I mean, I haven't decided yet. It has nothing to do with sportsmanship, whether we will – and shake hands or embrace anything after the game uh, just to be cautious. And, uh, you know, playing the game is one thing, but, you know, the mingling and all that stuff after the ball game, uh, I'm going to have to talk to our guys, but I don't, I don't think we will do that just, just to be safe. You know, I'm surprised to hear him say that because I haven't gotten the impression that the Buccaneers are among the most stringent and careful franchises when it comes to COVID-19, <laughs> dating back to Tom Brady and the guys working out in defiance of the NFLPA. Rick, what's been your impression of how stringent Bruce Arians, the coaching staff, the organization have been overall about the COVID protocols, or is this something where they've had some sort of an epiphany or a wake-up call in recent weeks? Well, I think all teams have, but to be honest with you, Mike, and I don't know what happens when these guys leave the facility, but I know I can't go in there. Uh, I get tested every day. I have to wear one of those tracers. I can't get within six feet of even another journalist in the tier two. They're, they're religious about that. And, and I think the Bucs have done a pretty good job. You know, they haven't had anybody um, that didn't, you know, enter it, um, you know, get COVID yet. And so, you know, the, the part of this is it has to be, you know, leadership. And I, I think they got a lot at stake here with Tom Brady. This is a small window, obviously. They're going for broke. Bruce Arians is 68 years old. Um, you don't want to be that guy on this team that, that screws that up. And so I think now that they're in the regular season, you're right, Tom took chances. I don't know what his conviction is about this virus. Um, but I do think that, uh, that in season right now, they, they, they've got their attention. Rick, we know Bruce Arians' relationship with Antonio Brown. We also know Antonio Brown's out there as a free agent and his relationship with Tom Brady. That's the last game he played. Is there any chance, especially considering all the injuries the Buccaneers have had with receivers in and out of this lineup, that there would be any level of interest for A.B.? Well, I think you just said it. Tom Brady likes him. And I haven't seen anything that Tom Brady likes that he hasn't gotten. I mean, seriously, he pretty much can ask for anything. Now, um, I, I think you have to, you know, look at what you have right now. You know, Mike Evans has been nicked up with a bad ankle, but he's still playing. Chris Godwin is getting healthy. Scotty Miller's been in and out of the lineup. 
I mean, they're not real deep at the wide receiver position. If they got another injury before, uh, you know, Antonio had, had committed someplace, I think it's a discussion. We know Byron Leftwich really likes him. We know that Antoine Randall was on this staff. He really likes him. Arians will just tell you that he's not the same guy he coached in Pittsburgh, that he's way more of a diva right now. But again, everything starts and ends with Tom Brady in this organization. It's really something to watch. And, and if it gets to the point where Brady feels like he needs Antonio Brown, it would not it would not surprise me if he found his way in here. You know, Rick, two weeks ago, we saw the Buccaneers lose in prime time to the Chicago Bears, and it kind of changed my feeling about where the team was. I felt like they were moving into the upper echelon of the NFC. And then at a time when I thought the Packers were going to handle them, they they dismantle Green Bay. And I think they're right up there. And I think they're the most complete team in the NFC based on what we saw last Sunday. Which team is the real Buccaneers, the one we saw against the Bears or the one that we saw against the Packers? Well, I mean, I think it's closer to the one you saw against the Packers only because the defense has been very good. I mean, even against Chicago, which, you know, obviously doesn't score a ton of points. They held them to 20. They should have won that game really with just the offense running out the clock with under three minutes to go, and they couldn't do it. Um, But this defense has been good since the middle of last year. They're still number one against the run. They're number one overall in yards right now. They've gotten a ton of turnovers. Um, The secondary has really grown up. Now, losing Vita Vea hurt them for sure. Uh, but those two linebackers, Levante David and Devin White, are two of the best in the league. And, and when they play like that, the way Todd Bowles is able to dial up the various looks and just the, the, the multitude of, of defenses he has, um, these guys are very, very fast and very, very good. So I think the defense, as much as we talk about Tom Brady, um, you know, they've really been the strength of this football team. Now, Brady did bring him back 17 down against the Chargers. And, and, you know, I think if they play good defense and Brady executes, he's got to get guys healthy, though. He hasn't had his full complement of receivers in every game. That's been the key, I think, as they progress. One thing we know they can do, Mike, they can run the football with Ronald Jones. Rick, you're right. When, when we think of the Bucks, we think of all those offensive names that they have, but the defense is number one. And I had a scout this week tells me he thinks they're even a better defense than the Steelers are, and obviously statistically they are too. Do you think this should get Todd Bowles a second look as a, as a head coach after what he's done with this defense? Well, I, I think he'll get one, and, and I don't know. You know, I think Todd will be a lot more discriminant about, you know, who he interviews with. I mean, he had a lot of people want him as a defensive coordinator. And sometimes, Shereen, you know this, guys can be better defensive coordinators than head coaches. But when you look at the Jets and you look at that, you know, that culture there, it's a difficult organization. Nobody's won there for a long time. So um, I think in the right situation, he would definitely look at it. But I think he's going to be a little more discriminant. He's got a three-year contract here. And, uh, and he's having a lot of fun just coaching the defense. But, yeah, would he like to be a head coach again? Absolutely. And we know when, when teams have success, people start picking off their coordinators. I think Byron Leftwich will be a candidate as well. You know, I've been fascinated by Indomitian Sue this year because at times we've seen flashes that throw back eight, nine years to when he was on the front end of his prime. The hit against the Chargers that sparked the 17-point the turnaround by forcing a fumble. His, his aggression to say the least, directed at Aaron Rodgers this past weekend. Is he a guy who just needs to have something to get him going? Um, Because I I, I, want to see that guy more consistently, but we just don't at this point. You know, Mike, when you talk to the coaches, they say that uh, this year, for whatever reason, and maybe it's because Shaq Barrett led the NFL in sacks, and maybe it's because, 
you know, Will Golson's playing better, and, and JPP has got five and a half sacks on the other side. But he's getting more one-on-ones. And now with Vita Vea out of there, that might change a little bit. Um, but but he's just he's just playing better. And, you know, it's a good defense. He likes this scheme. You know, and Domicon Sue probably doesn't get enough credit for how smart of a football player he is. I mean, he gets it. And they play a lot of different fronts and do a lot of different things. And I just think that he's – I think he's motivated. I think that he's uh, – inspired a little bit by Todd Bowles and he's playing his best football. So he has kind of rolled back the clock a little bit and uh, this is his style. They like to get after people. So, you know, he's having, I mean, at this point he's playing as well as, as any interior lineman as there is in the league right now. Rick, there were a lot of headlines, obviously, when the Buccaneers signed Rob Gronkowski, he's been kind of eh, 17 touchdowns so far this year. And he had his first uh, 17 catches and he had his first touchdown and we didn't even see the vintage Rob Gronkowski spike. Uh, no. I know the Raiders were going to cover him with Jonathan Abram this week. They're obviously not going to have him. Does, does Gronkowski still have anything left? Is he still trying to get the rust off or does he just not have anything left at this point? I, I think it's been hard for him, uh, Shireen. I mean, I, you know, when you, when you put those keys on the table, especially in the NFL, it's hard to pick them back up. But this is a guy that had a lot of surgeries. I'm sure his body felt great until he started putting it through the stress of playing football again. And it's been tough on him. He doesn't have sort of the, the quick first step or the explosion. He's been, he's been blocking well. They've had to use him a little bit more recently just because of the injuries they've had to Chris Godwin and to Mike Evans. I mean, they don't have running backs that really have been able to catch the ball. Sean McCoy has been out. So they've been throwing some tight end screens. They, they did get him down the middle of the field on a seam route. Uh, of course, he had his first touchdown. He couldn't spike the ball, and that's that's because his right shoulder is, is, is kind of jacked up. And so he had to spike it for the first time with his left hand and, and didn't get good reviews. So um, he's a warrior, though. He loves playing with Tom Brady. He's doing the best he can. And, um, you know, I don't know for how long they're going to have him. They're going to have to get some – He's playing a lot of snaps. I know that. They need some help at tight end, and they get maybe Anthony Alclair back this weekend to help with some of those blocking schemes. Hey, Rick, uh, we really appreciate your time today. But I have one more important question for you because it's driving me crazy. The helmet to your far right, the black one, I can see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over your shoulder. I can see Wisconsin. What's the one to your far right? I've been trying to figure it out every time we, we cut to your camera. Well, I wish we could get closer, but uh, that's my school. My, my wife went to Wisconsin, and uh, that's Arkansas State. You see them every week, I think, on Wednesday or Thursday nights. But, uh, yeah, I played <laughs> baseball up there. Those are the Red Wolves, so uh, we're, we're proud to have them up there. They're the reason, one of the reasons why Washington isn't the Red Wolves, because they got to go through Arkansas State if <laughs> they right. want that name, and Arkansas State will sue you into oblivion. If you want to try to get that name. All right, Rick. Hey, uh, thanks for some of your time. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, Mike. See you, Sharif. All right, there he is, Rick Stroud, Tampa Bay Times. Great stuff from him. And we've now reached the point in the week, Shireen, where we talk about the things we can't wait to see. And I'm going to go first this week because I've been very excited ever since I was reading through the transcript yesterday of the Vic Fangio press conference. And I saw that he was asked a question about snow in the forecast in Denver. And I got very excited. I grabbed my phone. I checked out the excellent Dark Sky app, and I saw that they were calling for 7 to 11 inches. They have since revised it to 3 to 7, and who knows? Maybe over the course of the day, they've revised it even more. But I don't care. I want snow. I want a snow globe game. I want that. I never expected I'd have it in October. I'm looking forward to the TV 
pulling up on the big monitor I've got here with the NBC feed of all the games at 4 o'clock on Sunday, and I'm looking forward to seeing the snow fly between Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, Drew Locke and the Broncos, and we know Mahomes loves playing in the snow. I hope we get our first snow game of the year on Sunday, Shereen. There is nothing like a snow game, Mike, not even a rain game, but you like all those. It just it's it's a throwback game, right? But it sure is fun to watch. So I hope they get a lot of snow just like they did uh, when Mahomes played against the Colts in the playoffs. And that's the first time he had ever played in snow. Of course, grew up here in Texas and played at Texas Tech and had never played in the snow until that game and played awfully well. And that also will be the debut of Le'Veon Bell, who has played plenty of games in the snow. So we might get a big dose of Le'Veon Bell on this game, and that would be fun too. All right, Shereen, what's first on your list for what you can't wait to see this weekend? Well, I just want to see if the Cowboys are going to be able to stay in the NFC East race. And, you know, they, they have the next two games against Washington and Philadelphia and then play Pittsburgh before their bye week and if they don't win this week I think you can pretty much write them off because I don't think there's going to be enough wins on the schedule even to get to seven wins which might win the division I just don't think they can do it to me this is a must win game for them Andy Dalton said he feels much better in the offense the second week having gone through an entire game We'll see. He's not Dak Prescott, so uh, he's going to face that vaunted Washington pass rush with only one starting offensive lineman in there, so it's going to be a tough game for him. Yeah, you know, I have the Cowboys winning that game, but what the hell do I know? I feel that way after the past (laughs) couple of weeks where everything I think I know is flat out wrong, but Peter King was making the case today for Washington winning that game. And, you know, it would be fitting because once we write these teams off is when they rise up and win and just screw up our thought on what exactly is going on in the NFL this year. But I could see Washington winning. I think the Cowboys will. But there's just so many injuries. I think they've reached that critical mass where it it, it makes it very, very difficult to beat anyone, even the bad teams that they will be playing. I can't wait to see the Titans and the Steelers. And it's funny, there is a tie back to this potential snow game because I said earlier this week, if only it would snow in Nashville because that's the only thing missing from this old school 70s style clash between Pittsburgh and Tennessee. I want to see if the Steelers can slow down Derrick Henry. I think he needs two or three steps before he can get up to full speed and full force. That's the time to get him. And surely Keith Butler and Mike Tomlin are telling the guys that that's the important point. Get to him before he has his maximum speed because he's either going to run by you or through you at that point. And I could see them swarming to him, daring Ryan Tannehill to beat them. And uh, th- that's going to be the key. And who knows? Maybe they completely sell out to stop Derrick Henry and they pay for it in the passing game. But I want to see that Steelers defense try to slow down Derrick Henry. You know, we had Derrick Henry on the show earlier this week, Mike, and we asked him about the MVP conversation. And I think if he does well against the second-rated run defense in the league, we are going to be talking about him as an MVP candidate because he will have done it against one of the best run defenses in the NFL. And I think what we consider one of the best defenses in the NFL. So if he can even get to a hundred yards, Titans are going to have a really good chance to win this game, grind it out. And we'll be talking really highly about the Titans, probably more so than we are now and, and considering them to be a real contender in the AFC. All right, Shereen, what else you got? What else are you anticipating this weekend? Well, I'm looking forward to Jimmy G going against the Patriots again. You know, he was Tom Brady's backup forever. Didn't get to play too many games, but 
uh, you know, he played enough to, to convince the 49ers to go out and trade for him and then give him the big contract. And, you know, he, he started a Super Bowl for the 49ers. Whatever you want to say about him, he started a Super Bowl, which a lot of quarterbacks can't uh, say that they've done. But I do want to see how Bill Belichick designs that defense to stop Jimmy G and, and the 49ers this week. Yeah, that is going to be fascinating. Bill Belichick knows him better than anyone and knows from studying him very carefully what he can do, what he can't do. And it'll be fascinating to see what Belichick has in store for Garoppolo. I can't wait to see primetime Kyler. I I had said earlier this week, I want more Cardinals in primetime. Little did I know that we would get more Cardinals in primetime. Here's Russell Wilson, who's going to be facing Kyler Murray for the third time, talking about the Cardinals quarterback. He's a phenomenal football player. Um, he can really throw it. He can spin it. He can run around. I mean, he's quick as a cat. He's just moving around like crazy. Um, I got to know him a little bit through the draft process and got a lot of respect for, for him and his competitiveness. And uh, we're going to get to play against each other for many years, and it's going to always be a lot of battles. So, you know, I, I'm proud to see just his, his work ethic and success and uh, doing, it for, doing it for the shorter guys. Uh, but he's, uh, he's been special for sure. I interviewed both Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray in person just a couple of hours apart in Atlanta early 2019 when Kyler Murray was doing that awkward media tour where he hadn't decided to play football and he was being put in a tough spot all the time. It's like they probably shouldn't have brought him here until he knows what he's going to do. But I was struck by the physical difference between Wilson and Murray. Wilson's a giant compared to Murray. You know, because I, I, I feel good around Russ because we're about the same size. I felt great around Kyler. Kyler was little and and is little and is I think that makes it even more fascinating to watch him play because he he runs around and passed and through anyone and everyone. He's got great awareness. I, I, I firmly believe he's got the best combination of speed, agility and awareness the NFL's ever seen. And people are like, what about Lamar Jackson? He doesn't have the awareness. I'm talking about awareness, too. You've got to know when to get down, when to avoid contact, when to save it for the next play. He has that unlike any fast quarterback has ever had, Shereen. It's so amazing, Mike. He never takes a hard hit, ever. I mean, he'll even take sacks in the pocket, and he'll just go down and nobody even touches in him. And how the statisticians decide who gets a sack, I don't know. But (laughs) he never seems to take a really hard sack. What I do want to see from Kyler is better accuracy. He was not good throwing the ball Monday night. I went to that game 9-24, and if you take away, and I know you can't take plays away I get that but he had the 80 yarder to Christian Kirk and he had the 60 yarder of Hopkins coming across the middle that was really a catch and run other than that he was not good throwing the ball 44 yards other than those two long plays he was 9 of 24 as it was we need to see better accuracy I know for the season he's over 60 percent but on a consistent basis him throwing the ball down the field better accuracy throwing the football he can make plays though that covers that up when you win you can run you can win you can do make the plays when you have to even if it's just two plays that makes everything else go away and you're not talking about all those throws that you didn't make down the field and let me reiterate quickly something chris sims pointed out i talked about it earlier today with peter king on pft live Watch his arm, his throwing arm, because Sims thinks that the way he's moving, his body language, et cetera, suggests he may have something going on there, including noticing that as he came off the field at one point, he unbuckled his chin strap on both sides with his non-throwing hand. When your right hand's right here, you reach your left hand over to do it. There's something counterintuitive about it. It may be that he's trying to, to keep that arm low and to keep it from hurting him any more than it is. So keep an eye on that arm on Sunday night. All right, time for one more real quickly. Shereen, what can't you wait to see on Sunday? 
I want to see if Baker Mayfield's going to rebound, Mike. We know he probably shouldn't have played because of that rib problem against Pittsburgh. He was terrible through the early pick six to Minka Fitzpatrick. Is he going to rebound for that? Is he going to become the quarterback that the Browns thought he was when they used the number one overall pick on him? He hasn't been that yet, but he still has a chance to do that. They're four and two. It doesn't feel like they're four and two because the two divisional games were absolutely blowout routes that they lost. And they have beaten the Bengals once this year. Baker played well. Want to see him play well again against the Bengals to, to see that they get back on the right track. First thing I would have done this week if I was Kevin Stefanski, show the remaining schedule. There are six games they should win. There's one game against the Raiders. Who knows? There's three games they should lose. They win those six. They're 10 and six and they're going to the playoffs at a 10 and six record with seven teams making it in the AFC this year. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, we open up the PFTPM mailbag. We'll be back with more right after this. All right, PFTPM Friday edition, wrapping up with some of your best questions submitted through Twitter. RSV Hill 31. I probably didn't pronounce that correctly. I'm sorry if that's the case. Who's the next Viking to be traded? Yesterday it was Yannick Ngakwe to the Ravens, Shireen. Anyone jump out on that roster as a candidate to be shipped off by a Vikings team that knows it's over in 2020? Mike, they have plenty of candidates, and I think they should trade whoever they get the best deals for because this is a team, to me, that looks like it's going to be rebuilding. They don't have much cap space, as we know, so I think they should trade some guys. And and the one that really jumps off the page to me is Kyle Rudolph. You know, they signed him to that four-year, $36 million deal before last season, and they haven't used him enough. He's only playing 70% of the snaps this season, not doing very much at all for the Vikings. I think he could go somewhere and help somebody. So he would be a guy I think would, would be first on the list, but I think there's plenty of candidates on that team that teams will be interested in. We're going to have Kyle Rudolph on the program on Tuesday, unless it falls through. Under circumstances like this, sometimes the interviews do fall through. One in five during the bye week with the trade deadline looming and a veteran player, he may not want to comment because that will be one of the questions. Harrison Smith's another guy that you look at. Now, you have to factor in all the cap consequences that hit next year, but with next year's cap at 175, possibly, you, you don't want to start burning up a bunch of dead money now that goes into next year unless you really get some great assets in return. I'd love to see them trade Kirk Cousins. Frankly, that's not going to happen. The cap consequences would be enormous. But, uh, you know, there are some guys on that roster that maybe the time has come to move on. I think they recognize this combination reload and rebuild isn't working. It's kind of like trying to change a tire on a moving car. And I will say this. My one little piece of Vikings history I can contribute. Back in 1990, the Vikings were 1-6, and six, and they reeled off five straight wins and got to 6-6. Six and six. So it's possible. Then they lost the next four and finished 6-10, and 10, though, so what the hell. But you're not truly done. With seven teams alive for playoff spots, you're not truly done. Yeah. And I'm fascinated, Shireen, by the possibility of one of these teams getting a seven seed this year or next year in either conference. You get the seven seed, and your playoff game is against the two seed, which is a team from your division. That is going to be one hell of a way for the two seed to have to break into the playoffs, playing a team that knows it very well right out of the gates. 
Well, and you think of all the divisions where that could happen, Mike. I mean, you look at the the NFC North, you look at possibly the uh, NFC, uh, the AFC, NFC North, both of those divisions, that very well could happen. There's several teams there that you look at that that, that could happen. And so, yeah, it's going to be crazy um, when, when those teams have to face off in the division. You could see the two seed going down in the first game because they don't get the bye this year. Moments ago, we got the confirmation that we will have Kyle Rudolph on Tuesday, so I will ask him about whether or not the Vikings can turn it around. I don't know, 40, is there anybody in the Cowboys locker room that can step the hell up and be a leader, Shereen? You know that team as well as anyone. Who should it be? Who could it be? Well, you know, Dak Prescott is there later, and he's not going to be back this year. He is going to be around the team, but it's normally either the quarterback or a veteran guy who's been a starter and, and has been the voice like a Jason Witten. And obviously they lost Jason Witten to the Raiders in the offseason, so he's not there anymore. And you start looking around that roster, there aren't many guys. But I'll say this, when the, the anonymous quotes came out this week about the coaching staff, Sean Lee asked to be on with the, with the Dallas media. He asked to be a leader uh, for that team, and he stepped up and he talked the other day. And he hasn't played a game this year. So I think Sean Lee is the prime candidate to be that guy. Well, we'll see what happens with the Cowboys. We'll see what happens with uh, that team this weekend as they try to get to three and four. And, boy, they would – at, at three and four, that's one of those where the vibe around the team that it, that we've seen would not mesh with three and four. Three and four would be pretty damn good through seven games, given everything this team's been through. All right, quick break. We're going to wrap up this Friday edition of PFTPM right after this. Shereen, last year, the Arizona Cardinals were 5-10-1. One of those victories, the last victory of the year, came Week 17 at Seattle. Not the Christmas present the Seahawks were looking for. 27-13, the Cardinals won that game. They're 4-2 this year, almost matching their win total from last year. I asked Peter King this earlier today. I'm going to ask you, scale of 1-10, to 10, where, where do you put the Cardinals right now, with 10 being the best? Oh, I think I'm going to put them at a seven because you just start looking at the defense, even without Chandler Jones. I think this Marcus Golden trade helps them, but they're pretty good there. And then the offense can score with anybody, right? With Kyler. I, I like this team. And, you know, you were talking about being a surprise last year. It's not going to be a surprise Sunday night if the Cardinals win this game. No one's going to be surprised. Boy, and what a difference there will be if we wake up Monday morning and the Cardinals are 5-2 and two and the Seahawks are 5-1, and one, especially with some of the games the Seahawks have coming up. We've been talking about everything the 49ers have to deal with. The Seahawks have some difficult challenges on the immediate horizon, and that defense, not very good. Should be a great game on Sunday night. We'll be breaking it down Monday on PFT Live and then on PFT PM. Everybody, enjoy the weekend. Thanks for some of your time. See you next time. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. 
Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.